0: I had many breaking points, and I'll tell you, you know, I wasn't doing well for years because I wouldn't acknowledge the mental struggle. I wouldn't acknowledge this as a mental health problem. I would not acknowledge the depression. I wouldn't acknowledge any of the intricacies that that really shape how the human mind thinks when exposed to prolonged periods of pain like that. When I broke my back and I saw my back on that x-ray, it was very physical to me. If you would have told me years ago that I needed to work on my mindset, I would have said, you don't know what you're talking about. My mindset's fine, it's my broken back. Like it's a physical problem, it's not mental.
1: The Happy Healthy Human Podcast will help you build your happy, healthy life. Your host, Paul Levitin, is a board-licensed health and wellness coach, nutrition coach, personal trainer, and behavior change specialist with over 10 years of experience helping people create positive life change. Each week, he discusses topics that will help you understand yourself, why you do the things you do, and how to take steps to create the life of your dreams. He talks with experts from therapists to addictions counselors, coaches, trainers, CEOs, financial planners, and more. If you've ever wondered how can you become the best, happiest, healthiest version of yourself, you've come to the right place.
2: Vinny Crespino is the founder of The Pain Academy, an online education platform that helps people live an active, pain-free life. Vinny is a former Division I All-American athlete until he broke his back in his early 20s. Then, after years of learning how to rehab that life-changing injury, he became a corrective exercise specialist and an entrepreneur so that he could help people move and feel better. Personally, being in the fitness space online for almost a decade, I have seen a lot. There's a lot of noise out there, and a lot of people using gimmicks or shiny objects to try and fleece the unknowing public out of their hard-earned money. And in all honesty, it caused me to be a bit jaded with the fitness industry as a whole. And that's why whenever I see someone putting out real, actionable, helpful content, I always take notice. And Vinny is one of those people. His account, The Pain Academy, is one of the few fitness accounts I still follow on Instagram. If you add that to his amazing backstory, his general mindset, and everything put together, this is a conversation that I really can't wait for you to hear. So let's get going. All
0: right, Vinny, tell me the story about breaking your back. I would love to. It's a good starting point. Um, so some quick context, I was a eight time All-American division one collegiate swimmer. So the water was something that I was pretty good in. I was the only sport that I could actually do worth anything. Couldn't couldn't really throw a baseball or a football, but man, I could swim really well. So I always had this love of the water and it wasn't until after my freshman year of college where i really got burnt out of being in a pool uh, but i still had the love for just being in the water that was like a second home to me so it kind of led me to how i broke my back which is falling in love with the sport of surfing i loved it man loved everything about it it was cool it was it just seemed a lot cooler than running around in speedos all day so i wanted to be a pro surfer and my arrogance and my ego led me to believe that i could go paddle out in some of the most atrocious heaviest swells that that southern california had seen in quite some time and i ended up paddling out on a day that was uh, significantly higher than my ability to manage surfing wise i was strong enough to paddle out into some double overhead waves uh, but i was not strong enough of a surfer to understand how to actually manage that and so i caught the first wave and what should have been a glorious stoked moment uh, quickly turned into the most humbling experience of my life. This wave took me and wiped out, threw me into a set of rocks. My lower back hit the rock, and before I even surfaced, I knew something was, was seriously wrong. Fractured my T12 vertebrae, um, multiple disc herniations, torn ligaments, uh, you name it. Basically sprained my back on top of fracturing the T12. Vertebrae, so it was uh, quite quite a significant injury that took me from being this like very capable young strong man athlete into life sucks. I don't even want to stand up. God forbid I have to bend over and and tie my shoes or pick something off the ground. It was just miserable for years, man.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. I totally understand. I have a similar experience going through debilitating back pain, and exactly, you know, things like tying my shoe or putting socks on in the morning or, you know, getting out of bed was next to impossible. And I'm curious what goes on in your head when something like that happens, meaning coming from being a star athlete, coming from my body is everything. And I'm, I'm that guy, I'm the the star swimmer and all this stuff to, I could barely move, you know, what, what's going through your head at that time? and, And what happened to you mentally going through that?
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a complete psychological break. I mean, my entire identity was not only wrapped up in sports and performance, But in in achievements, it was about having the structured life of of daily discipline and waking up early in the morning, working out and taking care of your body and eating right and doing the things that an athlete needs to do into I I can barely breathe, I can barely move and being confined to your bedroom floor, staring at your ceiling for hours and hours and hours on end going from having endorphin highs to now being hooked on these opioids, these prescription drugs that were being fed to me by the bottle. Um, it, it was just such a quick pivot from one life to a life of disability that I had a massive identity crisis. It was, it was depression. It was rock bottom. Everything that comes with chronic pain and injury and, and having this, this crisis, um, it was terrible.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. And I, I appreciate you sharing and being open and honest with, with your experience, because I'm sure a lot of people listening have had similar experiences, if not as extreme, but the this, but the struggles are the struggles are the struggles. And, you know, going from that, you went from the high, hit the low, Yeah. how do you dig yourself out of that? Right? How, what is the thing? Because you know, as you you mentioned there, as an athlete, you have that strictness, the routine, right? It's like, okay, I know that I have to get up every morning, 6am practices at 630, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm there, I'm that guy. But then when all that is stripped away from you, taken away from you now, not only are you not able to do that, you're not able to even move or walk or, you know, again, just live your life in any sense of a way. How do you then build that back, have the mental
0: wherewithal to fortitude to not just give up it's a great question um i i want to first state that man i wanted to give up many many times (laughs) so i don't want to make it seem like you know some some strong-minded individual i actually had never really faced adversity until this the 30 plus state records the over 16 national titles. All of these wins were in something I was really good at. I had never actually put myself through something I wasn't good at or that came hard. And yeah, you know, being an athlete of Division One, like, yes, it was hard. There are of course challenges with it, but they were familiar challenges. I, I had known how to navigate the challenges of being an athlete since I was eight years old and found out I was good at this one thing. What I wasn't prepared for was having a completely new set of challenges. That, that's what put this athlete's mind, the athlete mindset really to, to use, uh, challenged everything. So being in pain was miserable, but not having the understanding of how to navigate this mentally, that was the hardest part. It was seeing how I started comparing myself with everybody else, even if it's something as dumb as watching a neighbor take out the trash on early Tuesday morning, me thinking like, oh God, I wonder what that's like to be free and go take out trash again without having to like negotiate in my mind, is it gonna be worth the flare up? Is it gonna be worth the pain that I gotta go through? So I had I had many breaking points and I'll tell you, you know, I wasn't doing well for years because I wouldn't acknowledge the mental struggle. I wouldn't acknowledge this as a mental health problem. I would not acknowledge the depression. I wouldn't acknowledge any of the intricacies that, that really shape how the human mind thinks when exposed to prolonged periods of pain like that. When I broke my back and I saw my back on that x-ray, it was very physical to me. If you would have told me years ago that I needed to work on my mindset I would have said, you don't know what you're talking about. My mindset's fine. It's my broken back. Like it's a physical problem. It's not mental. So for years, I I don't know how I actually got through it. I was like suffering in in silence without even acknowledging the the depression and and the struggle that I was going through. I kept just focusing on the physical and brushing off the mental, the mindset for a really long time. Um, I'll tell you, nothing really changed for probably the first seven years. Injury healed. I went through so many different therapeutic protocols, some traditional, some not traditional. And nothing really stuck, not because those weren't valuable, but because this wasn't right. My mind wasn't engaged. I wasn't understanding what the real problem was. I was resisting every single treatment option. I was fighting myself internally. I was always stuck in that comparison of, oh God, you You used to be able to do this and now look at you. You can't even stand up to make pancakes in the morning. You know, you used to eat 30 pancakes before practice. It was all of these comparison narratives that just formed this massive root of resistance and rejection that this can't be life anymore. I refuse to believe this is life. And through that denial, that's where the pain was. And nothing changed until... I actually understood in a really... It was a fraction of a second until I understood how harsh I was being on myself and how judgmental I was. And I was showing myself no compassion, no empathy. I was just beating my body up every single day wondering why it didn't change. So none of, none of that mental stuff actually made sense until I actually moved to a place of, of acceptance in my life. I appreciate that a lot and... You know again anytime someone is open and honest
2: about their struggles physical or mental as something that i, I never want to gloss over on here and acceptance is the 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 key to everything right it's the, it's the first step and i teach the wheel of change right so you know awareness and acceptance are they're kind of the the the, the two a's that i use there but i I am curious, as you're talking about this, like, I get what you're saying, right? It's like, okay, give myself grace and the acceptance and comparisonitis is something I talk about on all that stuff. But if I'm listening to this, right? If I'm the person who's saying like, but like, it is a physical thing. It was literally a, a broken back, right? Like, that's, you know, the same person who's saying, like, you know, I might work with someone and say, like, hey, like, you know, if you want to lose the weight, you have to fix your mindset. But they're like but the weight is a physical thing what does that have to do with my mindset so what was it about your you know your beliefs you were not accepting what was going on that was holding you back from being physically healed like what was the bridge between the mental and the physical
0: the bridge was um so first of all everything you're saying yeah there there's a trigger whether it's your weight whether it's uh specific pain point a condition an injury there always has to be the trigger right the event before it What I failed to see was everything after that event, so I felt pain I never saw the dialogue that happened right after I would feel pain the anger and the frustration the comparison as you were talking about the hatred the anxiety the language, the words that I would use to talk to myself when I would run into a restriction or a painful or a flare-up, what were the actual words that I would use? That was the resistance, is not understanding that it's how I'm relating to the thing that's the problem. It's not the thing itself. The thing itself is just a sensation. It's just pain. It's how I'm relating to that sensation, how when I feel pain, I don't just feel an L4, L5 impingement. I feel everything that that thing has not made me do for the past seven years. I feel all of the times I couldn't be intimate with my partner. I feel all of the days I had to miss out with my kid. It's the memories, it's the flashbacks, it's it's us making something into more than what it actually is. It was the exaggeration of what's actually happening here. And it wasn't until I was able to just see for, it was a moment of clarity It was almost like I stepped outside of that conversation and saw how the pattern of pain, what did it do? How did it make me think? How did it make me feel? I never thought my relationship to pain was the problem. I thought pain was the problem, but it's not. It's just a sensation. It's what we do with the sensation that becomes the problem. And maybe this is a little out of context. I know it's always a little different. Um, and I always want to be very sensitive when I talk about these things. But, but same thing with weight. It's, it's, yes, the weight could be a trigger, but it's, it's what, what then happens when you think about weight? How, how do you sabotage this process? What is the dialogue? What's the conversation internally? And maybe it's not with words. Maybe it's just with feelings. For me, it was a physical pattern of bracing my core like I was about to get injured again and not allowing any effective systematic change to happen. It was, I was so entangled in the problem that I wasn't actually able to step outside of it for a second and see what is really happening here. What is the true problem? I was just stuck chasing symptoms, being highly reactive every single moment in every exercise. There was no like stepping above the problem and seeing what what it actually was. And I'll give you a really specific example because I said I would. Um, a bridge, very common exercise in re- rehab programs. Bridges were nightmares for me. I hated them because anytime I asked both hips to work together, it would a- immediately trigger the disparity between how the muscles on the right and left side of my back worked. It would almost pull me into a flare-up. I hated bridges. I, I, Resisted them. Anytime I looked forward, it was always like this moment of dread in my little exercise protocol. And rightfully so. Anytime I did the exercise, it was pain. I was mad. I would hate myself for this little simple motion being so problematic for me when I used to be this young strapping man capable of doing anything. So I had learned to hate this exercise. My son comes in to the room and we start talking. I get distracted by like a Netflix show. I'm not focused on the bridge. And a couple exercises go by where there was no pain, no symptoms. Well, it didn't make any sense because here was an exercise I'd come to hate. I had come to loathe it. But all of a sudden, I'm thinking about, I'm distracted. I'm not focusing in on what's not right and what's painful and what's not happening and where I should feel the work and where I don't feel the work. I was focusing on something that actually brought me happiness. It was my son. It was a Star Wars episode. It was really cool. It brought me joy. And now this exercise completely fundamentally changed. My biomechanics didn't change. My soft tissue movement impairment didn't change. It was what I was placing attention on changed. Thus, the experience changed. And I didn't really understand how to, how to navigate that at the start. But that was the first question mark of what if it's what if I'm thinking about this all wrong? What if what I'm actually focusing on is not the real problem? How could I go from chronic pain to changing my focus and now not experiencing pain and bridges so fast after suffering for 10 years? What, what, what's in there? Is there, any, is there any more information in there? Um, and that's what ultimately led me towards the notion that maybe how I'm thinking about this is the problem. I think that that is extremely
2: powerful. And pain is an extremely complex topic. And it's something that I don't, maybe I've spoken about a few times on the show, but it's also something that I don't profess to be an expert in. And it's one of those also weird things that I don't think anyone is really an expert in because we understand so little about it. But one thing I do know, as you mentioned, is that understanding pain as a signal, as a, you know, just as a message rather than a a, a thing that is necessarily bad or to be avoided. And it's something that, you know, is, is not the end of the conversation. It's more of the beginning of it. And that goes in the physical sense, but also in the sense of life of, of, of you know discomfort you know if you don't want to use the word pain because pain has a, has a much more negative connotation but we can use discomfort in the same way discomfort in your life discomfort in you know in your business in your relationship or something like that is just a signal of like well maybe something needs to change so i'm curious if you have seen this uh play out in any other ways maybe not in your physical body but in the in the same regard of like where you've seen pain or seen something that, that was the impetus of what you needed to change moving forward?
0: Yeah, I think, I think pain is, although it's incredibly complex, there are so many variables that can often contribute to, to pain sensations. Um, I, with, with what I've learned, it is a invitation of change. Pain is a lesson in disguise and it will continue to show up until that lesson is learned whether or not we're able to decode that and understand and how to use it that's that's the big question that we're trying to figure out right now Um, but it's just a calling into a little bit of the unknown your body isn't able to have a conversation like you and i are having right now with words it can only communicate in signals trillions of chemical signals and things firing that's how our brain and our body communicates with everything so when we feel a sensation we're not really able to put words to it it's just a calling that something's out of balance here it could be a biomechanical imbalance it could be a social imbalance it could be a biological imbalance it could be an environmental imbalance something is out of whack here and your body is so brilliant and ingenious it's letting you know something is missing we're missing something right now 4 years I thought pain was the end of the conversation, that it was bad, it was wrong, and I should fear it. I was taught that it's only a warning sign that damage is existing and occurring. I love what you said. It's really the start of the conversation. I didn't understand that for years. I thought it was the end of it and we should just not have it and pain should be done. It should be a a thing that we're always in control over. I never thought of it as a bi-directional signal of how can I use it to understand what am I missing? What is my body trying to tell me and how can I actually navigate that? Um, I've, I've seen it play out in so many times where somebody does what they need to do movement wise. They work on soft tissue function. I mean, we're, we're dealing with the mechanical mechanisms, yet they'll get into a really disruptive fight with a loved one. And all of a sudden their movement mechanics are entirely thrown off. When they've shown st- uh, stabilized improvement for months and months and months, now this social factor is completely throwing their body out of whack. And to their body, it's still registering the same levels of pain. I still have a herniated disc, yet the MRIs show the disc is not herniated anymore. But the body remembers What kind of pain levels do we need to escalate things to to get this person's attention, that they're stressed, that something's wrong, that something's off? Um, It plays out in so many ways, plays out in so many ways, man.
2: Yeah, I think that is just an important takeaway for anyone listening is that understanding of social things relationship things mental things can present as physical things and one thing i learned from one of my coaches when i was when i was a personal trainer and i learned from one of my my coaches that was that you know to talk to your clients and always in the beginning of the session as just you know obviously it's a it's a rapport thing it's a it's a you know you want to you want to be a person and be a human but it was also because you want to know how they're feeling Right. If one of my clients comes in and I'm like, Yeah, how, how's it going today? And he's like, Oh, had the longest day at work. Me and my wife got into an argument last night. I slept in the car. And then today I had a stressful blah, blah, blah. It's like, I already know that they're, you know, that things are going to be off, that we're, we're not going to do a heavy, whatever, a squat workout or, or max effort wind sprints or something like that, because it's like their body is not going to be in the place that it needs to be. So, you know, having a coach. To, is that just the outside eyes, but having that uh, internal awareness of your of a knowledge of self to do that is, you know, something that you were forced to have, right? It's kind of like when you're, as you said earlier, laying on the floor and not able to move or, you know, the, not even able to stand up without pain. So you just lay there for four or five hours. It's like, well, I don't have anything else to do but to Think right, so you kind of were forced into the situation. So my my question is, you know, how do you help people? You know, as I know you do with your social media and everything that you're doing, but help people to find this stuff before the pain.
0: Yeah, well, I think the body does many, 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 many ways. It has many ways of getting somebody's attention, and and let me explain. Let me go off off route here. Um, there's a paraplegic. They don't have feeling in their legs. If their caregiver ties their shoe too tight, well, someone like you and I are going to be able to feel, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm feeling something's happening in my foot, either pins and needles, tingles. I'm able to feel how blood pressure, right? We've got specialized nerves that can detect pressure. Um, I'm feeling that there's increased pressure and swelling in this foot. Our brain and nervous system has an incredible way to alert us that something's off. But when it's not able to use pain, there's a whole host of other avenues that your body will use to get your attention. Some of those is your hearing. Some of those is your vision. Some of those is literally gut feeling. Your, uh, somebody who might not be able to sense their foot due to nerve damage, they might start getting very nauseous and queasy. It's not that there's a problem with digestive system, it's their body utilizing another system to get you to pay attention. Our body is brilliant at communicating with us. It's a matter of how do we learn to listen to those signals. So maybe the paraplegic case was a little bit of an extreme. After some time, and usually after spinal cord injuries, one of the things that surgeons prep, prep patients on is you're not going to be able to use nerves to check in on your body. You've got to pay attention. When you've got a headache, you've got to do a full body scan. What's going on? Scan your environment. Did you hurt your leg and you don't feel that you're bleeding? What's happening right now, right? So you've got to be extra sensitive to all of the ways that your body can communicate. And usually these surgeons or doctors do a great job at telling people that. Well, most people don't have that conversation of here are all of the ways in which your body can get your attention. Pain is usually one of the last ditch efforts, or first ditch depending, uh, or first effort depending on the severity of the problem. But a whole host of other issues: blood pressure, your flexibility, how muscles feel when they're moving, your proprioception, your ability to feel what hip you're sitting heavier on your ability to actually connect with your body and feel how things are moving. Where is your breath right now? Is it short and shallow? Is it tense? Your breath is a barometer of stress and stress has a huge involvement over your immune system and how your body functions. Learning to pay attention to your breath and your movement. How does it feel when you bend forward is not just a biomechanical how do the hips and the pelvis move it's a check-in on how your entire system is responding to change the days where you feel really stiff achy and tight and you haven't kicked your ass in the gym that's one way that your body's trying to get your attention something's missing for most people it's probably not moving enough which is why the body's saying things are stiff and tight we need to get moving how people discern that information really makes all the difference How you listen to a sensation or signal and then give your body stimulus, that's what's critical. Most people will feel their body reach out to them by their muscles feeling tight. So what do they do? They've learned to code that a tight muscle means I need to go stretch it. They go stretch the living hell out of it, but not much changes. We've got the signals crossed. Most people experience tension because it's their body's way of saying without pain, hey, man, you got to get moving. We do not have enough motion to regulate function. We are having all these adverse dis-ease effects with our neuromuscular system. You've got to pay attention to this. But we write it off as tight muscles. We write imbalance off as no big deal. We write off a lot of these early warning signs as not problematic until your body has to elevate the signal like it did with the paraplegic in different ways to get your attention. So what I do is I teach people, how do you listen to the early warning signs of your body? And that first starts with awareness. And I'm not telling you to sit down on a mat and meditate awareness. I'm telling you to run your body through specific motions and functions to gain a pulse on what is happening system-wide right now in all of your low joints. How are your muscles working or how are they not working? From there, Just doing that's not enough. You've got to do that consistently so you can have a pulse on what is your baseline? What is normal and regular for you? So then you can start to understand what is abnormal and regular. One of the main principles that I teach, as I'm sure you and every other health and fitness practitioner teaches, is consistency. I teach consistency not specifically or exclusively for results. I teach it for awareness training. If you can consistently do X, Y, Z every day, man, the moment X, Y, or Z feels a little different, you're going to know it. If you do your routine, your movement routine only once a week, who knows? You're going to fluctuate so up and down. You don't know if you're just having an off day, if it's biological, if it's social, if it's environmental, if maybe you just ate something that, that your body doesn't agree with, who knows? But when you can consistently show up and do really gentle, simple movement every day, you're going to start to develop this baseline of what your normal is and see that baseline change depending on how you stimulate the body. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it makes a, a ton of sense, and I think that that's huge. And it, it, it highlights a huge problem in today's society, which is exactly that. It's that disconnection from self and that unawareness of the body and, you know, proprioception is the is the word and fitness parlance, but it's just knowing what the body feels like. Right. You know, when when someone walks into a gym and, and I go, do you feel that in your glutes? And they go, I don't, I don't know what that means or something like that. It's just we are so disconnected from our body, which can't be a good thing because our body is the only thing that we have. And you know, so I, I, I'm completely right there with you, right? You need that baseline. You need that daily movement practice, as you said, to know, okay, what does good feel like? Because I think that this is the problem that I, I've seen the most is that people don't know what feeling good feels like. Yeah. Some people are so used to, they're starting in a negative, right? People are pain and discomfort and tight muscles and just a poor quality of movement, a poor quality of life has become the norm. So people have mistakenly come to accept that as good, right? Because again, same thing, when, when I hurt my back, it wasn't as bad as yours, I wasn't broken or anything. But it was to the point where again, I had sciatica where I couldn't, I could barely walk, I, I was, you know, my training, I had to stop all this different things. And I was like, Okay, well, this is just my life now. So I just came to accept that after, you know, after a year or so, and I was just like, I guess this is just what life is going to be. And now I was fortunate enough to be in the fitness world and do this for a living where I was like, I was like, actually, no, I'm going to learn how to fix this. And, you know, over studying over different years and different things, I, I, I dug myself out of that. But there's, a, you know, an alternate universe where I just came to accept that. And that became my base. And I think that, again, that is the problem where people don't know what it truly feels like to be healthy because of the society that we live in. So how do you combat that?
0: Yeah, Um, it takes a lot of communication to combat that. How How many times have we had a new client who it's their first day in the gym, we're doing a basic exercise, and they're saying, ow, it hurts. And you say, well, what hurts? And they're like, my muscles. And it's like, is it working? Or is it hurting? And they don't know the difference. So we first have to experience these things so we can know the difference. And uh, I, I really wish I had a better analogy, but forgive me, this is the only one that's coming to my mind right now. Um, it's almost like teaching somebody who's never drank, where's their line, right? Where's that line where if they cross, it's not gonna be a good time for them. We've all crossed the line and the only way you learn what is your line is by crossing it and doing it and unfortunately that is a hard lesson to learn depending on who you are some people never hopefully never get there right they stick to like a one or two drink minimum but the only time that we can ever learn these things is by sometimes crossing them and with fitness i think that's very true like we People don't know what their baseline is because they never cross into different territories, but we have to cross into a different territory if we're ever gonna know how to compare our experience. You know life is a certain way. You've accepted this pain. You've accepted that the hips probably can't move past 25 degrees, so squatting is just not, not in your cards, right, you were dealt an uh, anatomical problem. We can never squat again. Well, the only way to show somebody that that's not true, that there's a different way to live and there's a different way to feel is by first creating that, that initial experience of difference. You can feel a little different. How I do that is with really specific movements. Everybody's trying to put work into the body, affect a change, create a change. One of the first things I teach people how to do in my program is how to relax. And I don't mean plop down on the sofa, but how to get into a position that fully supports your body in a state of zero work, where the floor and a couch or a chair is your entire center of gravity is spread out over the floor in a chair, laying on your back with your, with your legs upright. Um, what does that feel like to have an absence of symptoms? What does it feel like to mitigate symptoms? Not fix, we're talking mitigation with a position. Most people are gonna find lying on your back with your legs over a chair, hips and knees at a 90, 90 degree angle, probably feels pretty good probably feels a lot better than moving with symptoms does. So step one is creating this little window of, here's what here's what sensation is available. You can have a body that's not ringing in the pain alarms all the time with you, and that's not constantly over flooded with discomfort. I'm gonna show you right now. Let's learn how to breathe and relax in this one position. And somebody with shoulder pain might only know shoulder pain. Well, there's gotta be a couple really simple, basic movements we can do in that neutral position that can start to get the shoulder and the collarbone and the shoulder blade and the mid-back to move just a little bit. Not massive. I don't care about huge range of motion. But can we actually teach your nervous system that movement can feel comfortable for you? And it's actually enjoyable. Can we relink You've linked pain and movement heavily. You've been conditioned to do that. And rightfully so, you've been in pain for X amount of years. And anytime you've moved your hips, pelvis, or shoulders, it's hurt. I want to show you there's actually a different way to move. And it's not through pain. It's in the absence of pain. And teaching people sometimes these really small, limited windows, ranges of motions, it's obviously not going to challenge the tissue enough to change it but it starts carving out a different reality that you can actually move and breathe and it can feel quite good so i think it starts by by first giving them the taste of what does that even mean to feel good in their body and sometimes you're going to cross it just like with the drinking analogy sometimes you're going to do too much and you're going to have a flare-up but there's always this kind of baseline that we can get to if we do some really calm gentle motion and that's got to be top first
2: yeah 100 um I think that's super important. It's just giving people that, showing them that it's possible, right? You know, so many people have lived with pain for so long. Again, oh, well, this is just how it is. I'm just never going to throw again. I'm never going to squat again. I'm never going to whatever again. So showing someone that it's possible can be eye opening. And I think that there's two types of people there are people in pain and people who aren't in pain. And, you know, people in pain, I think, are much more easily convinced because it's like, well, if you have the, the cure for what ails me, I'll do anything. Right. And these are, this is why people who get into these different modalities can be so uh, gung ho about it. Right. Cause it's like, well, I yeah. did this and it, and, it, and it helped. And then they're, they're, they're going to proselytize for it till the end of days, which is great. I love that. But my question for you is how do you work with someone who isn't necessarily in pain right now do you do you go do you go about it the same way or you know because again like i know that people who are in pain and you're you're helping them they have that buy-in right away but what about yeah. for someone who's just like well i don't care about that i just want to be fit
0: yeah it's a great question so the the major difference in somebody who is a chronic pain survivor let's call it that versus just somebody who wants to improve athletic performance or just muscle balance or movement capacity uh The process is the same because we need to restore as best of biomechanical function in both case scenarios. One's for performance, one's for mitigation of symptoms. The process is different for people in pain in that they need to be educated about pain first. And there's been studies that have shown clients who understand how pain actually works, and we're not talking on a a biochemical level understanding, we're talking about when you get injured your sensitivity of your entire nervous system spikes, not just in the, in the area where it hurts, but everywhere. Even sometimes the gentlest, most basic motions can trigger a flare-up, but that doesn't mean you're injuring yourself. That means your nervous system is in a high state of activity. Well, teaching people how to navigate flare-ups and painful sensations, that, that's gonna be the main difference because they're gonna run into all of that when they do their work. They need to learn, someone in pain needs to be educated, that range of motion doesn't reward you. Just getting to the ground or doubling your range of motion doesn't mean you're going to be pain-free. It's how you improve range of motion that's going to determine that. The conversation, the mindset. Do you run into limitation as somebody in pain? Do you run into symptoms and barrel your way through that? No. We need to learn how to how to navigate those things. And that's done through uh, a 30-day mindset program that I have on, on how to change people's relationship with pain. So there's there's a lot more hand holding that needs to go in depending on the severity of pain. Um, educating people on the process is critical. People who who are here for performance or athletic goals uh, or just want to move better, it's actually, I mean, obviously it's a lot simpler because you start to notice results pretty quick. There isn't a lot of conditioning that needs to be unwound as it is with people who have been in pain for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so just the information presented needs to be a little different, but the course is actually fairly similar.
2: Yeah, for sure. Education, that piece is is huge uh you know i mentioned before i teach what i call the change loop and it's like awareness education and then action so that's like my and then they just kind of keep going back you know back and that education piece is is huge because a big piece of the education around pain that i found to be the most helpful for myself and you know when i was working in a gym helping my clients is just simply that the fact that you are not broken and i think that that so many people have, have been disheartened by their experiences. And again, this goes beyond fitness, right? This is the same person who this is the same as the person who says like, well, I'm, I, I've tried all the diets, they don't work, I just can't lose weight, right? And this is the same person who says that I'm, you know, my parents were poor, my cousins are poor, my sister is poor, I'm going to be poor too, we're just poor, I'm just poor people. And that, that's all that we are. So, and I know that you've, you've dealt with many people and, and worked with people on, on different on different scales. So, you know, I'm wondering, how do you help people on the mental side of things? Like, obviously, you can show them physically, right? It's like, okay, like, again, we put you in a position where you, you have pain, we put you in a different position, you, you don't have pain. But for the people where it's less of a physical thing and more of a mental block, how do you help them to see that there is a different story?
0: Well, as you called out, it starts with first creating the space that there is a different reality, right? Um, Pain is, is overemphasized in most pain relief programs. How I help somebody break that vicious cycle of being trapped, chasing pain, breaking out of the story is by first not fueling the story. For example, when you join my program, if you have chronic back pain, you are not going to be sent in a direction of chronic back pain members. I i don't categorically change your plan based on where your pain is because that reinforces and fortifies that that area is the problem, that that area needs to be focused on. And your success is primarily dependent on that one area changing. Everything in the program is about the bigger picture. It's not about things being fixed. It's about re-educating muscles on how to work. So there is no really specific language on, hey, if you have sciatica nerve pain, do this. If you've got this in your lower back or this in your neck, do this. It's actually eliminating that conversation altogether, which is really uncomfortable because people who are in pain want to know that this one thing is for that. But that's where I think the narrative needs to to change is when I say stop chasing symptoms, I mean that also stop giving people just what they think they need and give them a more complete solution. I don't want to enable people's fixation on what's wrong or what hurts. I want to bring them into a program that educates their entire body, muscle by muscle and joint by joint how to work. And if there's flare ups, how to use the entire body to tell you why that is. So how you change the story is by changing the narrative at the start. My program is not based on pain relief, even though it's called Pain Academy, and the vast majority of people who do this are in chronic pain. Getting out of pain is just step one. Staying and maintaining pain-free, that's what people want. So all of my communication is not about pain. Hey, is your pain going up and down scale one to ten? What's your pain like? It's all about the bigger picture, which is what is your relationship to pain, what is your mindset, and how are we actually improving your biomechanics on a day-to-day basis, and not allowing that that trap to just perpetuate itself um, by only focusing on the narrative and the story. Um, I think people need to especially the ones that are really fixated on that chronic pain story and that narrative, the only thing that's going to change that is a new sensation, right? I can't just tell them, hey, stop thinking about your pain, stop asking questions. I have to replace one sensation with another. So giving them these symptom mitigating movements and routines starts to carve out the space in the mind that there is room for a different existence. There is room for a different reality. And within that room is where I help start to build people's lives again. But it doesn't work for everybody because some people are really, how do I say this in, in, in the best way? Um, depending on the self-work that you've done, this is gonna hit a lot of people differently. Um, at some point, pain serves a purpose. For me, I pain was my excuse to not show up in my life. Originally, it was breaking my back. That sucked. But it became an excuse on why I couldn't work. And it became an excuse why I wasn't a present and emotionally available father. It became an excuse why I didn't hang out with people when I just wanted to be alone. I started to use pain unknowingly to an advantage to get out of things until you're ready to see what, what benefit there is of pain in your life. Now, now look, let me first state, if somebody would have told me I was holding on to pain because there was an advantage to it years ago when I was going through my injury, I probably would have flipped them off and said, no way, That's that's not true at all. You're wrong. It hurts. I don't want it. On the surface, that's very true, but if we really dig a lot deeper than that, why didn't I stick with any exercise rehab program? Why didn't I actually develop a routine? Why didn't I reach out to more people? Why didn't I eat right? Why didn't I have the right supplementation? Why didn't I drink uh, water on a daily basis to what a normal human should be, especially rehabilitating a broken back? I didn't do all these things because I was sabotaging my own process. I was so committed to the idea of having this broken backstory and having this athlete falling from the top, I was afraid to live life, man. I used pain as an excuse not to show up. So you ask, how how do you change people's narratives? I can't until they have that accountability conversation with themselves, until you actually are ready and willing To change your life and to move past chronic pain and until you are ready and willing to see what this serves and what it doesn't serve nothing can really be done it's just a an endless game of kind of dipping your toes in some programs but never actually fully committing yourself to a change it's kind of going to therapy but not doing the work outside of the therapy when your sessions end there has to be a full commitment to change and change is, is hard. People don't like it. It feels gross. And a lot of people, and I, you're smiling because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, even if it's good change, healing chronic pain, changing when, when it becomes your identity and pain is wrapped up in who you are, the idea of getting rid of pain is painful. It's painful for you because that means you have to change. Your identity has to change. And not a lot of us are willing to get there mentally and have that conversation about how am I benefiting from this right now? Do I just love people's sympathy? And that might sound really cold and harsh if you're going through the depths of what chronic pain can take you to. But I hope anybody listening to this that immediately rejects and resists that, that's an emotional reaction to pain. Your reaction is protecting something that I, Suggest is worth exploring.
2: Yeah, I mean, that last five minutes or so uh, was everything right there. And yes, people do not like to hear that, and people are going to have visceral gut reactions when they hear that. There's a yeah a saying that I love, um, you know, from a book called The uh, Existential Kink, which is about like shadow work, but it's that having is evidence of wanting. And that's like, it's exactly what you're saying, right? If I, if the the fact that I have something means that I want it in some way, I am attracting that into my life. So, meaning if I am poor, it's because I want to be poor. If I am hurt, it's because I want to be hurt. Now, obviously, there, there are things outside of our control, right? You didn't choose to get put into that surfing accident, although you could dial it in even more and say maybe you did because you knew that you were going out into a wave that was. You know, going out into into surf that you weren't even equipped to handle, and that you were biting yeah. off a a bite bigger than you can chew, and that you were setting yourself for, up for failure from that regard. But that we hold on to these things so tightly because, like you said, there's something in it for us, right? Are you know, even t- people who have trauma or people who have uh, had horrible things, uh, you know, have it like every trauma response that we have is for a good reason. Your body doesn't do anything to you that it thinks is going to be wrong everything serves as a protective mechanism and sometimes we get hooked on that protection because again you know when i'm if i'm the guy who in the wheelchair or the guy who can't walk you know uh because i and, and people are taking care of me maybe I don't want to go to rehab. Maybe I find excuses just to, to skip my rehabs because I feel better to be taken care of. I'm not saying that everyone does this. This is not um, victim shaming or victim blaming or anything like that. It's the opposite. It's extreme ownership. And it's saying that, how can I look at what I have and see how am I complicit in having it? So I think that that's a great question um, that you asked. It was just kind of like, how is this thing benefiting me and it's a a hard question to ask and like you said you do need to have been done some work on yourself to be able to even have this conversation with yourself but it's super powerful because it brings us to the main point which is that you know it's it's you it's me right i am the one who is no one can no one could have healed your back but you all of the doctors could have given you all of the things and, you know, the rehab professionals could have told you all of the exercises to do, but until you were ready to heal, no one was going to do it for you and no one no one could do it for you. So I appreciate you kind of making that point and, and you know, as uncomfortable as it may be, putting that up you know, out, out there into the universe and kind of letting us all, you know, I'm going to think about, think of, have to think about this more after this conversation. Um, the, The last question that I want to ask you is, you know, simply for anyone listening, what is one action step that listeners can take right now, as soon as this episode ends, as soon as they take their headphones out to start living a happier, healthier life, what would you tell them?
0: It's a great question. Um, I've put together an assessment toolkit that helps you take an honest look at things. I teach people how to take photos of their movement, of their body, of their, their movement patterns. and. What I believe people need to do to live a happier and healthier life is to look at things as objectively as possible. Face what you don't wanna look at. See what you don't wanna see. And taking photos of yourself and your movement and looking at what's working and maybe what's not working, having an objective view, that honest conversation can only lead towards better accountability. And that accountability can only lead towards a happier, healthier human. Without, without being clear on what's really happening and just internally chasing what feels right, what doesn't feel right, I think our compass tends to get a little skewed we tend to only focus on the painful parts. And that could be physically or mentally and emotionally. Um, But learning to take a step back and seeing kind of that 30,000 foot, you know, bird's eye view gives you a point of reference of where you're actually at truthfully and honestly. And I think that's where any great change starts from, is a place of honesty and truth and if you don't like what you see in the photos if if taking pictures of your scoliosis shows you what's happening things that you don't want to see and you try to always hold yourself in positions to not be seen show yourself to yourself let's let's take an honest look at things and start to figure out what is the game plan that we need to start doing from here so so my answer is 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 photos take photos of your movement let me show you how to do that if you need help with it I teach people six specific movement assessments in which no more chasing. Let's, let's look at the raw objective truth as to what can move and what can't move. And how can we actually start to put together uh, a more resilient body and a more resilient mind, right? I think that's step one. Um, That's my answer.
2: I love that, man. And yeah, I mean, being as objective as possible, you really, you can't. Get more straightforward than that, Um, so I appreciate that a lot. And I will uh, link to that program in the show notes for anyone listening. Just scroll down, and you can click it. Um, Vinny, this has been a a pleasure. I do. uh, I'm going to link to your social media as well. I love, I love your account, and uh, it's one of the fitness accounts. I, I, I took the time over the recent years as I've unwound myself from fitness culture. Uh, which I, is something I have a, a, a tenuous relationship with. I've unfollowed sure. pretty much every fitness account, but yours is one of the few accounts uh, that I still do follow and that I that I enjoy uh, because you put out good information that's genuinely helpful for people. So I just want to say I appreciate you for that and I want to commend you for the work that you're doing. And again, I'll have that uh, links to all your stuff, the Pain Academy, in the show notes. But for anyone who just is listening and wants to know where's the best place to connect with you, where can they learn more about you?
0: Yeah, uh, Pain Academy on any of our social channels. I'm a little old school. I like emails, so send send us send me an email and, and let's get you the help and let's connect um, and give you the help that you're looking for.
1: Awesome, dude! Thank you so much for being here. That's all for this week. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show so you don't miss a beat. Support the show by sending this episode to a friend or leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Stay happy, stay healthy.